Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 424. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast. I'm thrilled to announce first that my podcast was cited as the sixth overall in the top leadership podcast worldwide by Feedspot. This week's interview is with Peter Vanderputen, Peter's Director of Decisioning and AI Solutions at Pegasystems, a company that delivers innovative software designed to increase customer lifetime value, streamline service, and boost efficiencies of their business clients. A specialist on responsible AI, Peter's also Assistant Professor of Data Mining and Creative Research at the Leiden University in the Netherlands. In this conversation with Peter, we dive into using artificial intelligence in business, discussing the state of play of AI, how to build and use AI systems in big business with an aim to drive performance and improve the decision-making process at scale with an AI that is responsible, understandable, and trustworthy. You'll find all the show notes on mintodial.com. Please do consider to drop in your rating and review, and don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. Peter van der Putin, you and I have been hanging out um, over the years, and uh, it's really a great pleasure to have you on the, the show. You are what we could call a specialist in AI, and you have this deep interest in empathy in AI, which is where we are paths cross. So in your own words, Peter, I'd like to describe who you are and what you do at Pega. Yeah, so uh, I'm a director for uh, our, well, for AI uh, and what we call decisioning uh, at Pega. That's how to, uh, how can we bring AI artificial intelligence into uh, customer interactions or into customer service or into intelligent automation uh, to, to drive better outcomes, both for uh, businesses and customers. And I have a little side job as well because I'm a part-time professor in uh, in AI at uh, Leiden University in the Netherlands. So with regard to your professorship, I- I'm, I'm wondering what types of students you have. Are they out now geeks? Uh, do they have business intelligence in them? What, what attracts people to AI? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think what attracts students to AI is the same thing that attracts everyone to AI uh, in a way, uh, because, you know, I sometimes talk about the two Fs, you know, around AI. It's the F of fear, of course. Uh, Hollywood has been a big factor, you know, in you know the, all the fear mongering uh, of, of robots to take over the world, and uh, one day we'll have to succumb to their their, their wishes. Um, but it's not just fear, you know. If it was just fear, AI would have died out as a meme pretty quickly, right? So uh, the other F is the F for fascination, and uh, we have this fascination with AI ultimately because we're narcissists in a way, because we have a fascination with ourselves. Eh? AI provides us a mirror image of who we are as, as, as people, you know, it's uh, what is intelligence, where's it coming from? It's an age old question, but also what is creativity, emotions, all these different aspects that make us human. Uh, we can study them through, uh, yeah, an artificial lens and in a way that provides us a mirror image of, of yeah, like I said, who we are as people. So, and that's incredibly fascinating. So uh, I think that attracts a lot of people to the domain of AI, both in business, as well as in, in, in science and research. And then next to that, I also work with students that combine science and art. So finding creative ways to, to well, study un- unconventional research questions or find different ways to output uh, academic work, not just dull papers, but also interactive installations and things like that. And how much of the work that your students need to do actually requires an understanding or even a knowledge of coding, Python, and so on? Um, well, there's been a lot of democrat- democratization, what a word, so, <laughs> uh, of AI, of course. Um, so there's a lot you can do, you know, with... Um, um, with fairly simple tools, if you want to make creative use of uh, of AI, um, uh, for my students it helps to do a little bit of, to maybe do a little bit of programming, but it's more like tinkering and hacking. 
So putting all kinds of libraries and capabilities together to uh, to, uh, to to build stuff, especially in the in the creative domain. Uh, of course, uh, on the Pegasus side of the house, we we pride ourselves of being kind of a a low code no code platform. So uh, building applications uh, without having to uh, program. Well, which is a, a presumably an extra layer of complexity because you need to create the AI that does the job and then you need to create the layer that allows your clients to do it with a, an easier interface with the low code, no code, sort of simpler visual versions of it. And yet underneath, you still need to have the robust engine. That must be quite a challenge. Yeah, that, that, that's what makes it interesting when we're, uh, when we're building these kind of uh, AI systems. Uh, well, we're not building AI systems per se. We're building the building blocks, the, mm -hmm. you know, if you wish, the Lego, Lego blocks that, that you know, uh, our clients can use to, uh, to build their AI applications. And yeah, like you said, there's some, some you know, um, there's a lot of uh, blood, sweat and tears that, that happens in the back end underneath in these systems, not just to scale up AI to, uh, well, to web scale, uh, uh, where, um, yeah, where you're driving uh, hundreds of millions per, of decisions uh, daily across this uh, entire client base, but also to, uh, to make sure that, you know, um, that this AI is also reliable and robust and trustworthy and that we avoid bias and all of those things. Mm. Well, so the, the theme of, of this year's Pega World, which uh, just happened, was, was uh, entitled, or is the way I saw it, Crushing Simplicity. And at the complexity, first level, if you wish, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh uh, gosh, C crushing complexity. Yeah, there you go. I'd love um, to. That, that's my other job in in university. I crush simplicity and I make things more complex. <laughs> Pega, I cross complexity and make things more simple. Well, right? I ha I have to imagine at some level that that's good. That's a good two way idea because at the one hand, if you make it too simple, people don't really understand what's going on because underneath there are, there are lots of complexities within AI. So you've got your low code, no code interface for the customer that's simple, but underneath it, it's a complex, robust system. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so that's also, and it's not just about um, being able to um, insert AI in all these customer interactions or in business processes and uh, uh, to make them smarter and make them work better, but but uh, I was already hinting it a little bit, you know, a big topic nowadays is trust, trustworthy AI and responsible AI and how yeah. can you apply AI ethics uh, to it so that we can keep, uh, well, that we can keep the machine under control. Um, yeah, so, uh, and, and that's, that's what, what makes it interesting, right? Uh, yeah. Well, I certainly want to get into that. What, um, with regard to crushing complexity, what I, what I, I mean, obviously I've worked in big business and I understand this general idea of complexity and, and uh, amongst the complexities, of course, are the human interactions and egos and culture of an organization. Can you give us an insight as to how PEGA goes about bringing that simplicity to such complex cultures and maneuvers and situations? Yeah, great question. Um, so um, ultimately, yeah, you would want to use uh, like you, the, uh, the irony of it uh, that AI uh, sounds maybe like some fancy, uh, you know, some fancy advanced technology, but uh, ironically, it's a technology that can help companies to become more human uh, in, a, in, a, in an environment that's more and more digital, uh, where uh, customers have tons of different channels to uh, interact with you not just talking to employees, but also engaging with you directly through mobile banking apps or websites, uh, uh, et cetera. And um, I think, you know, um, uh, from the responsible AI perspective, if we want to take, keep the AI under control, we need to be able to embed our ethics into the AI. But from a uh, 
corporate strategy perspective, right? you, 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 you have a certain brand and you want to express certain values, right? So, and you can also, uh, you can, well, actually you should build those values also into your AI system. So if, uh, uh, if I give a simple, uh, well, some, some, some simple example, uh, it could be, um, uh, let's take uh, customer service, for example. Uh, you know, one of your companies, your, your authentic brand could be all around. I make things easy. We make things simple. Uh, you get the most out of, uh, out of uh, what we can provide to you. You can imagine that uh, an AI, um, if you would use an AI then in customer service, uh, you, you gear it towards particular outcomes. Outcomes like, let's make sure that we resolve the issue as quickly as possible maybe without even human intervention, uh, um, fix it uh, within uh, a chatbot or detect problems before they arise uh, using the AI and, uh, and, and uh, make sure that, you know, a customer can get on with their life, right? So the value then is all this, you know, simplicity as well as removing friction and making things super easy. Uh, another company could have more of a, a business value where they want to say, well, uh, we want to be um, we want to be the company that 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 truly understands your needs. Uh, where we uh, we want to engage with you uh, to find out. To of course, we want to resolve your customer service issue, but also we want to proactively see um, how we um, how we can better service you. Right. So, of course, this company and uh, this AI would also gear towards. Oh well, let's let's. You know, let's fix problems quickly, but would then also take a step back and reflect and say, well, how can we be, you know, how can we provide better service to you on top of that? Yeah. So the emphasis would be less on let's hang up the phone and fix it as quickly as possible so that you can get on with your life. The emphasis would be more on, well, let's fix the issue, but let me also understand, you know, like, is, is there anything else we can help you with uh, today? All right. So let's imagine. In business, I'm I'm running the company, and one of my values is uh, uh, long-term relationships with my customers, or uh, you know, like some value like that. How does that actually get dripped down the 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 ladder? Because when you get to the actual programmers, how they they don't know the business, they don't know your customers, they're just typing in Python. And yeah, yeah. How, do you, how do you make that connection? If you're the leader of the company, you don't probably want to be the person who goes down to speak to the programmers because you don't speak in a language that they really comprehend typically. How do you ensure that those values are being expressed down to the code? Yeah, well, so one thing is, uh, and like I said, we, we, we don't really program in, in, in Pega, you know, like uh, you, you configure applications, but that, that's a little bit beside the point. I think as a, as a leader, that, that, that's, you know, uh, one lesson is don't leave it to the programmers, right? So that's the mm -hmm. whole reason why you want your marketing uh, people or your customer service people or your customer operations, intelligent automation people, uh, the domain experts for the business, they need to own AI. They need to be able to specify you know how do we want to how how do we want to drive intelligent dis automated decisions for example right so i think that's one of the lessons is is make sure that, uh, don't don't see ai as some evil black box algorithm that you don't ha have control over and you leave it to uh, it no actually uh, ai is very much it's not a technology it's almost also a, a business philosophy right where you want to um um, yeah, where you want to be able to embed your values in every single customer interaction, in every single customer process, where you keep that 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 level of control, uh, where you continue to learn from uh, from feedback. And so, to give maybe, shall I give an example? Maybe just please to do. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, this is my part. This is my academic kick again. And so I like to keep things abstract, but let me make it concrete. Yeah, with my pack hat on here. Um, uh, yeah, let, let's take I, my previous example was from customer service. I'll, I'll switch maybe to uh, marketing here. Um, uh, and let's say I am this company that's more into uh, long-term uh, relationships. 
and, and let's say I have some kind of always on brain set up that's, inter, you know, that's hooked into all uh, the channels where I'm interacting with customers. Not just these boring old marketing channels like email, who reads email nowadays, yeah, but, but really, you know, all the channels that you use to interact with your customers, your, let's say my bank, my bubble banking app, my website, uh, branches if they open up again, right? Contact centers, uh, you name it. And, and we want to insert, uh, maybe we're inserting smart recommendations in all those channels um that would enhance lifetime value experience for customers if we want to build in this in this example if we want to build in our values around we're more in it for the long run we can really make that tangible in in such an ai system uh, one is we're not just going to focus on marketing and sales offers then you know we're going to help you get more value out of the relationship uh with the company yeah we have uh, whatever banks like Combank, they do look at like how can we warn customers that they're about to incur any fees so that that you know so that we can prevent that from happening. You know we don't want to be making money on fees. We want to make sure that our um, that we enhance the financial well-being of our customers. Right? That'd be nice. Or or how can we nudge uh, our clients towards certain benefits that the government uh, actually offers to their citizens? And based on our data. We can probably figure out with some clever AI uh, for what benefits you may qualify. So you would think like, why does a bank go into a business like that? Well, it makes sense if you think that your vision statement is to uh, to enhance the financial well-being of customers and businesses, but you make it real in all those millions of interactions that you're having daily with your customers and you're inserting those recommendations. So it's a broader set of recommendations than let me just sell you a credit card. And the other thing is, how do you prioritize? Because at any given moment, uh, Peter opens up his mobile banking app and there could be hundreds of things I could talk about. So I need to arbitrate and decide what's the, what is the, the best thing to talk about, yeah? And am I going to talk about the stuff that's most relevant for Peter, where maybe my AI says, well, this is, this is something that Peter would be most, um, that would be most relevant for, for Peter, something that would give him most value um, and that he's likely to be most interested in? Or am I going to take into account what is the, the margin impact of such a recommendation? Now, you can see where I'm going. If you're more towards the long run, you probably take a customer-centric, uh, more empathic approach where you say, well, let's, let's do what's right for the customer. You know, that, that Our job is to do what's right for the customer and then uh, and then the rest of, uh, the rest will come. Yeah, so you would prioritize more on, hey, what is the customer interested in? Are there particular real time situations with this customer? You know, like if if I'm uh, to go back to the Aussie example, if I uh, if my uh, you know if there's a bushfire coming my way, you probably don't want to talk about uh, let me sell you a credit card. You want to you know help a customer with that emergency situation, right? So mm, this well, this is how you can really embedded these things. This is a marketing example there, but talk, you know, like take a wider perspective, don't just to try and flog products at people and also, you know, do what's right for the customer. And, you know, uh, you know, there needs to be some something in the company uh, that you can take a long-term perspective there. Well, that's a, it's a fascinating idea of including real-time data that could include the fact that I'm in the middle of a, a burning fire uh, or the weather or such like. But when if you pursue this line, I, I'm the executive that's saying, I want to uh, enhance my long-term relationships with my clients using your technology or, or AI in particular. What about measuring against that? How do you actually say, all right, well, give me some KPIs to hit those goals? Where Because if I'm the marketing guy, by the way, I'm going to come back and I'm going to make sure that the KPI is satisfied, right? Because yeah. I have a, my, I have an incentive to make sure that the boss is happy. How does one, you know, oversee this idea of measurements that, that are as true to the need and the values that you're trying to install? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're hitting in a, in a, on an important point, eh? Um, because, um, and I'm glad we're talking about this because, uh, you know, it's it's not about 
advanced technology. It's it's about how do you you know how do you improve what you're doing. So measuring outcomes uh, is is incredibly important. Yeah, uh, uh, and uh, I think uh, what's uh, well what's new here is that uh, normally in management you have these very high level KPIs, and then some people are doing some reporting somewhere, and then trust me. You know, we measured it and and, and, and it's okay. Yeah, but here, if we're using AI, we're inserting it into every single customer process and every single customer decision. We can measure really, if you do it well, you can measure really at that micro level, what was the impact? Did the customer like the offer and accept it? Uh, was the customer issue resolved? And how long did it, uh, did it take? Or so you can really, go down all the way to uh, where normally in management you have to uh, look at like high level KPIs and it's not really clear, clear how that bubbled up to those high level KPIs. Uh, here we can actually generate them from the millions of interactions and processes that are being executed on a daily basis. Now to throw in the ca some caveats, uh, of course there are some, some of these cliches around if you can't, you know, if you can't measure it, you can't measure it. Uh, but there are also uh, I forgot the exact quote, but uh, uh, the the moment the KPI, the moment the goal becomes a metric, uh, that's when the problem starts, right? Exactly. Because the key thing is that that you need to um, um, that you need to measure wisely what you want to measure, and that you need to be aware of any kind of uh, side effects. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's of say course. the goal is to provide uh, the earlier company that just wanted to be the simple company and, and we are, you know, frictionless. Uh, you, you could have set up systems that minimize the, whatever, the average handling time for a call. Uh, but if that leads to uh, agents just throwing, uh, you know, just telling off customers and sure. off phone without resolving the issue, yeah, then then that's not right. So you need to yeah. make sure that you don't balance, uh, that you don't just measure, you know, how long does it take to, well, how, how long does the call take, but also was it truly resolved, you know, and uh, or mm. did it take a number of additional calls uh, to actually resolve the, uh, the issue? And of course, as soon as we start talking about long-term relationships, to use the specific example, the, the impact of a, a, an issue now, what we're looking forward to is that's the becoming a multi-year relationship. And so yeah. it's, you know, you can't exactly measure the cause and consequence at some level, which is typical in business. Yeah, yeah there are, those are some of these longer term measurements that you can also see, yeah, like uh, um, um, I gave the example in the marketing space yeah, where uh, forget traditional email and whatever, uh, look, look, look across all the channels where you're engaging with your customers. And you, of course, what you can measure well, for example, you know, uh, are these recommendations uh, relevant and being perceived useful uh, by the customer? Uh, but th there's a longer term side effect that while, uh, when customers start to appreciate that and uh, because you're using AI the right way, not the evil way, uh, then you will actually see that the volume uh, of those recommendations will, will actually also go up because you will extend your reach in all of those channels. You know, people will um uh they won't see it as a you know uh whatever um they, they will see it as good use of their data as opposed to this bank is just spying on me to make an extra buck right uh, so then longer term you will see that uh this this uh um for example the total volume of of recommendations and uh, that will start to increase and increase and the number of channels that you will hook, hook into this will start to uh start to increase or uh, you can yeah. also do of course uh, more like market survey type uh, um, um, studies to see well you know like how, how do more qualitatively uh, how do people yeah how do people perceive this is this a value add so peter we, we we've talked uh, a few times uh, mentioned this idea of ethics and, and responsibility uh, and you know generally governance there's there's not a leader that doesn't understand that there are ethical issues. So fine, we understand that there are biases that come into play. But if I'm the leader and I'm suggesting that the ethics of my company is such, how does one also make that come alive with regard to AI? 
because again, you've got programmers who are just executing zeros and ones somehow in a program that's designed to be ethically okay, but fine. That, that's, that's lovely in theory. How does one actually materialize an ethical framework in AI? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, that is obviously, there's no lack of attention for the ethical aspects of uh, AI. Uh, that, that plays into the first F I was talking about, the, the F fear. of fear. But, but you know, it's not just, um, you know, um, unevidenced fear, you know, like there are well-documented cases of uh, AI going haywire and it's a generic technology that you can, that you can apply good and bad. So, um, music, uh, to, music to, uh, fill your ears. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's keeping me, uh, keeping me awake. So, um, yeah, so, uh, it is a very important, uh, topic. Yeah. But the problem also is that ethics sometimes is seen as a problem or a constraint and what can we not do? Whereas ethics was invented as a philosophy to help people to sort out what they should do not what they're not allowed to do, right? So, mm. and I think uh, we see a lot of EU regulation, for example, that was announced uh, two weeks ago that the EU is proposing, yeah, maybe the uh, some of the more stricter policy frameworks for ensuring that AI is used for, uh, for good, yeah? And uh, they identify high-risk AI systems where they want to, um, uh, where, where, uh, there needs to be kind of a central registration, similar to privacy-related uh, uh, data, um, and, and we need to make sure that they're transparent and unbiased, etc. But ultimately, um, uh, I think for a business leader, it's it's important to understand that uh, there is already a lot of regulation in that area, and there will be even more regulation coming because self-regulation is not going to work. Yeah. So, uh, and I agree with that actually because having government uh, regulation allows also for a more level playing field. But ultimately it will only set kind of the boundary conditions of what can we not do? And the, the real interesting question is, yeah, within these boundary conditions, what should we do, right? So um, how, um, and that's back to that example, uh, for example, uh, whatever, the marketing example again, are we going, to, when we need to choose between two things I can talk about, uh, do I talk about the thing that, you know, that would interest that customer, assuming that they opted in way, uh, or, uh, for these type of recommendations? But are we going for what's best for the customer or are we just going to fill our own pockets and do what's right for, for uh, in this example, the bank in the short term? Yeah. Um, uh, and that's where, uh, and, and you can really build that into these AI systems. Uh, in, in this example, you know, what is the formula, how I want to, uh, to to make it like super technical. What's the formula, how I want to prioritize, uh, how I want to rank these uh, these recommendations. So that's the beauty of it. Uh, we, we, we can actually express those values in these systems, but we need to take a stance on it. Like what, what, uh, what are the values that as a business leader that I want uh, to be built into into those systems, and that goes beyond just satisfying, you know, the the government policies and the regulation. Because I said even the strictest ones, you uh, ones, they still they still leave a lot of room for both empathic or sociopathic uh, AI. And so it's really uh, within that framework, uh, you uh, you need to kind of decide what what values do we want to well what values do we want to um, build in these AI systems? It's so true, Peter, that in, in, the, in the way ethics is, is organized and talked about, it's always about the bad, you know, and, and the fear, the risks of it going wrong. And, and then the law, of course, is usually not only broad, but um, usually late. In, in terms of applications. And so you could always be faced with a law that you then need to retroactively or just go back into your AI to fix because you went in with a bad ethical framework. And yep. yet ethics is bad and good. And, exactly. and, and we tend to forget that part. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's that's how uh, you know how how the Greeks were talking about it. You know, how can I lead a good life? You know, how can I be a good company? Right. That's, when that's you what do, about, right? So, and when you do that, what's so important is to manifest what good means for you. So, because when you're down at the programming level, where you have millions of micro actions, it's hard to do the interpretation all the time correctly. But what, if you're a leader and you have these values, these ethics, that you need to somehow explicit the behaviors, the feelings that you're trying to achieve and, and say, listen, if it comes down to it, I want this to happen, even if it means less money. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, that's, that's it, a very it, hard it, thing. It, that's it, a, that's sorry. A, it's just a very hard thing to do if I'm a leader. And I don't think m- most leaders are equipped or aware of this challenge. Yeah, so maybe we need a little AI course for uh, execs. Uh, you, you see that happening, actually. Yeah? And, so, uh, and uh, in that sense, I think it's also very healthy to demystify AI a little bit. You know, it's, it's both the techno-utopians where AI is a silver bullet, but also maybe the uh, whatever, uh, the uh, certain AI justice warriors where uh, AI is always evil. That's not going to fix the issues we have in AI, you know, like if we want to address things like bias and transparency, et cetera, we need to, we, 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 we shouldn't say it's a, a silver bullet. We shouldn't vilify the technology in general either, right? So we should talk, look at AI systems and say, how can we pick them apart? How can we white box them? You know, how can we uh, demystify them actually, right? Uh, so that we can, uh, you know, that, that we can keep them under control. Um, and um, uh, yeah, so, and, 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 but but ultimately, you know, like uh, as a business exec, uh, this is, uh, it's a form of, of evidence-based business, but uh, the only, maybe the only difference is that rather than using data to decide, you know, whatever, where to open a new factory, right? Which is a macro level decision. It's building those values and strategies into, you know, millions of automated decisions that are happening every day, you know, in your intelligent automation process or in your customer service uh, uh, centers or in your uh, or in your one-to-one marketing. Yeah. So if you look at it like that, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's quote, just evidence-based business, but finally as a business leader, you have the ability to not just have these kind of big macro type uh, uh, decisions like new factory here, uh, uh, new product line there, but but you have the ability to express your company and corporate policy really at the level of those individual interactions and processes. And that's that's very cool. And also make it a learning, um, have more of a, a, a learning loop. Uh, of course, uh, in business strategy, a lot of people talk about uh, how can we become a learning company, etc. But it's always mm-hmm. a little bit at this, you know, fluffy macro level. Here we can actually build it into those interactions and processes, and we can see, like, okay, we were making smart decisions, but does it work? You know, do people like our marketing offers. Can we indeed resolve these service issues quicker? Are we? Um, um, making our lives better in automation, not just for for your employees as well, because these things like empathy, they carry over to not just to customers, but also to employees. Yeah, and, and like you said at the beginning, when you're evaluating artificial intelligence solutions for your organization, when you're talking about it at the student level, you are saying, well, it's a way to reflect on who you are as an individual, that fascination with our humanity, what does it mean to put empathy into ones and zeros? Well, actually, what does it mean to be empathic is at the heart of that question. And when you're running a company and you're looking at this, it's actually a fantastic opportunity to explicit your behaviors, forgetting AI, because you need to have some coherence between the way your AI is operating and the way you as an organization internally forgetting AI are operating. 
Yeah, exactly. And you have the opportunity to have what, what is the equivalent of identity for a business? Well, it's brand and a brand identity, or your company's vision or purpose. But but here you have the opportunity to really to really build that into the grain of of how you're engaging with your customers, partners, employees. Uh, like on a, on a daily basis and all these little micro processes and automated decisions. And uh, yeah, that, that, that's a, uh, there's risk, but, but it's a tremendous opportunity uh, as well. Um, and, it, and it's interesting, eh? like it's not just for execs. Eh? If we, we, we did a survey and where we also um, um, asked uh, individuals at different levels as also, uh, um, uh, all the way from exec to the to the workers, um, and in this future work survey, we, we we asked them like, okay, you know, what is, um, uh, what does the workforce actually mean, right? So, and it was interesting because almost three quarters of the respondents, they they say that this term doesn't just include the human employees, but also these intelligent machines also these AI systems that directly engage with customers or that support employees uh, that, that work alongside an AE, not taking it over, but, but uh, sorry, uh, alongside an employee uh, to, to, to better serve um, uh, customers or resolve business processes. So um, down at the work floor, they don't necessarily see it as a threat. Yeah, it's, it's something uh, these systems can work on their behalf or they work together with these type of uh, systems and they see them as, as part of the workforce and it uh, will allow you to yeah similarly how you in a how you try to educate your workforce to behave you know according to the the brand or whatever uh, in these automated systems uh, you can you can also make sure that you uh, that you embed that and so you you're embedding your corporate strategy your brand identity uh, even in very dull back-end, back-office automation processes, uh, everyone is a frontline employee in a way, you know, or every robot, even if it's doing the grunt work in the back office, uh, you can build a bit of brand identity in there, I'm sure, right? So um, uh, so you get much, yeah, much better, well, I hate the word, but much better control <laughs> of whether, um, uh, well, uh, whether we're working towards the company strategy purpose and, uh, and, 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 and brand identity. In the interview I did with your CEO, Alan Treffler, uh, one of the things that was fascinating to me and, and it continues to fascinate me with what you're up to at PEGA is this idea of encoding empathy or at least uh, integrating empathy as a, a measurement, as a, a, a method to deploy the next best actions and so on. And it seems to me that you guys have evolved somewhat in that empathy can't be something you delegate to the machine to do with your customers. It needs to be part of your culture if it's to absolutely be effective over the term, because sometimes the machines need to be handed over from the bot to a person, machine plus person, human. And, and so if the human isn't empathic, but the bot is, <laughs> then you've got a problem, I think. So talk us through how, we're, with regard to implementing your Pegasus systems, where empathy is such an important aspect and measurement, you're looking at the culture of the organizations you're working with. Yeah, so you're, 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 you're spot on here, you know, like, uh, so because it's not just about technical capability and even the technical capability uh, is a key part as a central brain and a central muscle but we're not the only part of the of the capability we live in a whole ecosystem of uh, systems and processes that we integrate into we're just we, we were only the core the core muscle and the core core brain but regardless of capability uh, it's things like people process uh, and strategy uh, and culture uh, that that need to be uh, that need to be addressed, right? So, um, uh, and it's I, I don't think it's just a matter of making sure that your employees are you know 
following those same values. Uh, that's important, of course. How about, or, or that they do, uh, like as humans, we're pretty good. Well, we can also be pretty bad at being empathic, but but in a way, you know, like we can we we can express these values in in how we interact at at a, at a personal level. Um, but it's it's important to um, well to to make clear that um, uh, well that there's more needed than just like building these values into these systems. And you need to communicate what are we doing, why are we doing it, and so. Um, in, in the example of the bank that I gave, it was uh, their high level statement is to improve financial well-being. Uh, hence, that's why we are embarking on this uh, on this particular um, customer engagement uh, uh, platform. And the whole idea is that we do what's right for the customer, yada, yada. And it's, it's important to explain it because otherwise, yes, for many mobile banking apps, it doesn't make that much of a difference, apart from the fact that marketing needs to be really in the know of why we're doing it. But for if you're delivering these recommendations in, into a bank or into a contact center, just for people to kind of trust those recommendations, they need to understand, you know, why, you know, what, why, what is the rationale behind this? And why are we doing this? And how can I actually work alongside the AI? You know, like uh, um, where, um, where it's uh, something that, 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 that's actually supporting me doing a better job towards my uh, towards my customer, right? So that that's where people, process, and culture is, is incredibly important uh, to uh, to get the most out of it. And Peter, update me as to whether you have figured out a better way to measure empathy as expressed through your activities, because this is, of course, a a topic I'm. I've, I've spoken about a lot with other people who are experts on empathy from a f psychological standpoint, or at least uh, in, in the field of, of medicine where it's such an important part. How do you actually measure empathy? Has Pekka come up with any new ideas with regard to that, or is it still some sort of work in progress, which is mostly the case for everybody else? I, it's pretty much, I, I think it's an eternal work in, in, in yeah. progress, right? So um but for me um when people talk about uh empathy uh, and it's maybe um uh well it's i'm i, I don't want to shy away from your question eh, because it's important when we make decisions that we capture outcomes in terms of is this something that resolves the issue for the customer is it something that the customer likes of course, you can also use AI and technology to understand the more qualitative statements that people make, you know, when they send you emails, et cetera, you can better try to detect, you know, oh, this customer is truly pissed off versus, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's actually a happy customer and what part of the experience are they happy about? What part of the experience are they not happy about? Uh, the, the, there are opportunities to use AI specifically also uh, to extract meaning uh, meaning from those uh, interactions, right? So I think uh, that that's where we're definitely making uh, making progress. Also having the ability to actually, with the full opt-in of customers, etc., uh, understand when there are spoken conversations, what are the uh, conversations about? Uh, we acquired a, a you know a speech-to-text uh, company recently, and uh, so uh, with all the proper uh, opt-ins. Uh, we 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 can provide a better picture of how is uh, um, an, an agent to a customer conversation going, for example. And so that, that's, those are examples where uh, we're we're making use of AI to better understand what is the impact on empathy. Um, where I was going in the beginning is is a little bit is what is empathy really, right? So, and that's maybe the, sorry, this is the academic kicking in again, maybe. How about, uh, well, when I see different levels of, um, of uh, empathy, right? So uh, uh, people say, oh, empathy, you know, whatever. Um, in, in humans and in systems, it means uh, that this, you know, uh, let, let's say it's a system that the system has the intelligence to understand what it is that you need. Okay, fantastic, that's one. Uh, then someone could say, well, it's very IQ uh, oriented. Yeah, I'm missing the EQ here, you know? 
uh, isn't um, em empathy much more around um, what is the emotion of the other so that we can, we can understand, um, yeah, what is the emotional state of the other, but also uh, what, what, what would make the other happy. Yeah? Well, incredible, important component of empathy. But for me, the true component of empathy is don't do to others which, what you don't want to have done to yourself, right? So this, this idea of, well, reciprocity, there we go. Mm -hmm. Well, we can just, yeah. we can blame it on a, on a bad audio connection. Um, has so have putting yourself in, into the shoes of the other and making sure that you're doing what's right for not just for you, but but also for the other. For me, that's that's if I need to classify the three, the IQ, the EQ, and more the morality of are we doing what's right for both of us, the third one is the most important. And uh, yeah, it's a nice it's example, a, of course. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how when you put on your tie, you go to work, you, you almost distance yourself from that, that feeling because you've got so many other KPIs that you're going after. Well, I'll just, oh, I wouldn't want that to happen to me, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's yeah, surely... but I think also as a business leader, there's an element of, uh, with, without getting too soft, there's an element of karma here. You, know, you want mm -hmm. to be able to look at, at yourself in the mirror or maybe uh, when you retire, you want to be able to look back on your life and say, well, I didn't just make a lot of money for the company. You know, I, I you know, I did something. I did good. I made customers happy. I made my employees happy. Um, you know, um, and you know, on the side, I was able to 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 grow a business uh, that that became uh, profitable. Yeah, but well, but just I grew the business and it became profitable. Uh, but if you do it, uh, yeah, not the right way, you can't look yourself into the mirror, and eh? you don't have a heritage. Of course, you see it also with the more senior men, uh, senior leaders when they, they they start to introduce all these things around sustainability, etc. Uh, but uh, and the cynics could say, oh, that's just uh, greenwashing. But I think it's it's a, there's a deeper thing behind it where people realize you're leaving something uh, you're leaving something behind. And the same should go for you know uh, empathic and ethical application uh, of 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 AI. Uh, I, Apart from the fact that your customers will vote with their feet, you know, if, mm -hmm. if they don't like how you're using their data and how you're using AI and intelligence, you, you, you think you can maybe get away with it and have a marginally higher profit uh, in the next week or the next month, but next year your customers will be gone. Yeah, so mm -hmm. um, that's I, the other aspect. So you, you mentioned karma in my new book. I, I absolutely use karma as one of the five pillars of future good leaders. So uh, thank you for saying that. One last thing we're going to talk about, Peter, is trust. If AI is to be good, you generally need data. To get the data, you have to have permission. To get the permission opting in, you need to develop the trust. How much, What what is it about AI? How can we render more trustworthy to a customer uh, where, where are where are the frontiers now in developing trust with the usage of AI that's customer facing? Yeah. Well, yeah, it may sound like a, a broken record, but it's the same thing. Are you using, because actually there's a lot of focus on AI and ooh, clever analysis, uh, customers don't like that, they don't like their data being used. Well, I'm a consumer. I don't mind my bank or my telco or whatever insurance company to use my data as long as they, it's about the outcome and the purpose. Yeah, well, why are you using it? And is that to my, uh, by my benefit? And if it's something that makes me happy, I'm happy. I'm a happy camper. If you abuse my data, I'm not a happy camper. Yeah, so it's, it's not so much uh, should we use AI, yay or nay? But but indeed, eh, like you say, how do we uh, how do we build a trust one interaction at a time? And that, here comes the interesting thing, you know, building trust one interaction at a time will take you millions of interactions. Eh? You can lose it in one interaction. Yeah, so um, I think that's something that people, and eh, that's really important and you may lose it for that customer, 
gifted customer goes online and whatever, uh, you may lose a whole bunch of other customers as well, right? So it's really a loop where you need to, you, trust needs to be earned, right? It's not, it's not magic. Uh, so uh, you, you need to uh, make, um, in, 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 in marketing and customer service, you need to make uh, the customer feel that you're, you're uh, um, that, that you're using this to help them, yeah, ultimately. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, and then you get into a loop where, where you know, uh, where that trust is being built. This is aside from all the things that I see as table stakes, like that your AI needs to be transparent, that you need to check for bias in your decisions and predictions, uh, that you need to be able to layer on your ethical rules and brand strategy rules on top of your uh, uh, on top of your decisions, right? So, I think it's it's. Um, but but for me, that we were talking about, yeah, what are the boundary conditions? That's almost uh, uh, that that's that's almost a given. Eh? But then we said like within the boundary com uh, conditions, what do you need to do? Well, you need to earn that trust, uh, one decision interaction uh, at a time by by doing what's right and and use these. I was talking about these three elements of empathy, right? So it's, it's not just about the intelligence and the, the IQ and the EQ, uh, but but making these real-time decisions, automated decisions in, in a way that benefits both, uh, well, benefits everyone. Eh? I'm typically saying company customer, but could also be company partner or even, even company employee. And when it's more about backend intelligent automation, uh, you need to see your employees are your customers as well. Right, so you also need you also need to build that trust and relationship with them when uh, through these uh, uh, when they're working alongside of the AI uh, as part of the the workforce to uh, to resolve issues. So I think that's um, um, I'm trying to boil it down to, to very simple uh, high level uh, things that you uh, need to take into account. Um, uh, yeah, the best uh, uh, the best image for that is maybe a uh, I don't know, you probably remember Gordon Gecko, right? So sure. uh, our, our, uh, what was his credo again? Greed is, greed is probably, good. Probably greed is good, yeah. yeah. Greed is good. Yeah, and he, I think he was the, he's the classical example uh, why uh, having the ability to, because he was very smart, high IQ. I would say he had a very high EQ in the sense of being able to sense what mm. the other like people- a, Like a sociopath. Are like a sociopath because he was lacking the third thing he was great is good just for me yeah so that's the you know that that's why he's indeed uh, is a sociopath right so and we don't want to be a sociopathic company right so uh, and i think as long as you keep that in mind as a rule yeah uh, and use that to build a trust with your customers but also build a trust uh, with your employees yeah so in both in marketing and service customers as well as with your employees intelligent automation and then then you're doing the right thing you know and then then this this then you will earn that trust yeah you peter yeah. Uh, i think you've you've said some pretty radical things you've the idea that employees are customers that can be a wake-up call and the the thing which is interesting and links back to this karmic idea which is the intentions I think you, it's it's really important for leaders to to figure out what their intentions are, because afterwards, then like in karma, you need to actually have actions, and then breaking those down. But if you then can, when you, as you also said, look in the mirror when you've retired, what is your legacy? And I think that the intentions to legacy, of course, in the middle is going to be all filled with actions, but that is a a very I think strong statement for leaders as they look at this and how AI is revealing our humanity. So Peter, I want to end there. Uh, thank you for, for coming on the, this show and, and talking about that. I think it's, it really, we've come up with some really interesting ideas. I'm going to capture a couple of those in the show notes. How can somebody track you down, Peter? Oh, I don't know. Get, you know, follow you, see what you're writing, researching, uh, anything else. Let us know. Yeah, no, like uh, you can just uh, look me up on Twitter and Peter Vander P. So Peter Vander Patten was already gone. Um, or uh, link up with me on uh, LinkedIn. 
I'm always very interesting, uh, interested to uh, to talk to people about the types of topics we were uh, talking about here today. Uh, how as a as an exec or as a leader, uh, we 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 can we can uh, you know uh, apply AI in a responsible way to to drive better outcomes uh, and also. Yeah, not people talk a lot about how can we drive the adoption of uh, AI. I think it should be the other way around. Uh, how could AI systems become worthy of our trust? So uh, I'm always uh, open uh, to uh, to discuss that with people. And thanks for having me. Hey, on those words, thank you, Peter. I uh, look forward to staying in touch and continuing on our journey towards uh, a better, more responsible AI. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.